Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. with Anna. This is the second episode of the seventh season, and our theme this season is Congenital Heart Defects Around the Globe. We have such a great show for you today. Parents of children born with congenital heart defects often wonder what their children will grow up to do. Since they are immersed in the medical field, we often wonder if our children will choose a medical profession. My own son works as a pharmacy tech at our local hospital. And I've met many people in the heart community drawn to the medical profession. Today's show is Congenital Heart Defects Around the Globe, the Novick Cardiac Alliance, and our guest is Rosalind Rivera. Rosalind Rivera is an adult living with a congenital heart defect whose experience as a patient in the hospital led her to become a pediatric cardiac intensive care nurse. She was diagnosed the day she was born with partial atrioventricular septal defect and underwent open-heart surgery at three years of age to repair this defect. At 10 years old, she had her second open-heart surgery to replace her mitral valve with a mechanical valve. Rosalind currently works as a nurse educator for the Novak Cardiac Alliance, which is a nonprofit organization. With a team of international medical professionals, she travels to developing countries to provide cardiac care and surgery for children. Rosalind has worked with teams taking care of children with heart disease in Ecuador, Dominican Republic, Iraq, Libya, Iran, Ukraine, and Russia. She has witnessed the worldwide impact of congenital heart defects and strives to provide education and support for those living with congenital heart defects. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Roslin. Hi, nice to be here. Well, I know you just breezed in from yet another trip, so thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's so awesome to see a CHD survivor growing up and giving back to the medical community. You told us you had your first surgery as a three-year-old and your second when you were 10 years old. Can you tell us where you received your treatment and what you remember of your surgeries? Sure. So my first surgery was at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles in 1986, and my second surgery was in 1993, and that was at Loma Linda Children's Hospital in Southern California. I don't really remember much from my surgery as a three-year-old, except painting in the playroom. 
I do remember a few things about my surgery at age 10. I remember thinking it was kind of fun, like a vacation I'm going on with my parents. We stayed in the hotel the night before my surgery because we had to be there so early that day. Mm -hmm. And my parents both stayed at the hospital with me the whole time. And my mom slept in a little cot next to my bed. So I honestly don't remember being very scared. And in fact, I don't have much memory of being in very much pain. I think I can credit my nurses for that, for taking such good care of me. But I do remember family members coming to visit me, my grandpa, aunts and uncles, and they always had these worried looks on their faces. And I remember thinking, what's wrong? I feel fine. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) You were not worried at all, and you saw their faces, and you wanted to allay their concerns. I just think that's great. Right, yeah. I actually enjoyed socializing with the nurses. My surgeon showed me a replica of the valve they put in my heart. And I remember thinking that was really cool. I'm holding this little piece of metal and that's actually in my heart. So I don't remember being scared or in pain or uncomfortable. That's great. Do you think that's why you were attracted to the medical profession? Because you, it sounds like you had a really positive experience. I think so. I remember thinking it was really interesting, and I wasn't afraid of being in the hospital, which I think is unusual for many children. Many children are afraid, but I enjoyed being there for some reason. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right. I think the fact that your nurses made sure that you weren't in any pain had a lot to do with that. And now that you're a nurse yourself, you know, the value of being able to make the child's experience as pain-free as possible. Yes, exactly. Well, having gone to other countries where babies born with congenital heart defects often die, how did that make you feel about your own medical care? And do you see a cardiologist who specializes in the care of adults born with congenital heart defects? It is a sad fact that many babies with congenital heart defects do die around the world because of a lack of access to care or a lack of resources or even education for physicians in other countries. So it does make me realize how fortunate I am. I mean, I was lucky to be born in the United States, specifically in Los Angeles. There were many trained cardiologists here that could take care of me. And I was lucky to have a trained pediatrician in 1983 when I was born who heard that heart murmur I had that day I was born. And even though the cardiologist told my parents that the hole in my heart probably would close up as I grew, It didn't, and I was fortunate enough to have parents who were educated and who were advocates for me and took me to the best cardiologists and the best centers in Southern California to get my care. So you said that your parents took great care of you, it sounds like. They were told that a hole in your heart might close on its own, but it didn't. So were they taking you back to the cardiologist every year, or how is it that they knew that the hole had not closed? Yes. So I was going to the cardiologist every year. I think they took me probably when I was about a year old and two years old. And then shortly before I turned three, I started not eating very well, losing weight. And I actually ended up being in heart failure because of my heart defect. So they had scheduled surgery for me and that's where I ended up. Wow. So that was probably really scary for your parents, but they probably didn't let on to you how scary it was, did they? Definitely. They raised me to never think of my heart defect as something that was different. It was just something I did. I went to the doctor every once in a while and 
like I said, I wasn't really ever scared, so it was kind of a fun thing for me. Wow. Well, that's awesome. It sounds like you've had a terrific quality of life. I have. Since that surgery at age 10, when they put in the mechanical heart valve, I have been taking a medication every day, the blood thinner. But again, it just became part of my life. started when I was 10, and it was just something I did, like waking up and taking a vitamin or brushing your teeth. It's just what I did every day, and I never forgot. And the days I did forget, I was very concerned, but realized, hey, I just forgot a couple hours. It's okay. I'll take it later or or not. But either way, I I played volleyball in middle school. I led a healthy, active life, and many people wouldn't know that I had a heart defect or I even had heart surgery unless they saw my scar. That's awesome. This is exactly what parents want to hear. They want to hear that their children can lead a normal life and that the heart surgery has good results that don't terrify the children about having to go back and see the doctor in the future. How often do you have to see the cardiologist now? I do currently see an adult congenital cardiologist and I go twice a year and I previously had been going once a year and then probably about six years ago or so I was actually seeing a pediatric cardiologist and they thought that I might need surgery soon again to replace my valve. And when that discussion came about, I decided I didn't want to have my surgery in a children's hospital. And I did my own research and actually found an adult congenital clinic and started going to an adult congenital cardiologist when I was 28 years old. So I was seeing a pediatric cardiologist until I was 28. And (laughs) since then, yeah, since then, I go twice a year and have my echoes done and my heart has been functioning great. And this possibility of the surgery again, while it is still... In the future, it's kind of my five to ten year plan, I guess you could say. <laughs> I'm doing really well as it stands, and so, so well, it's needed immediate. From what I've been told, mechanical valves are expected to last about 10 or 15 years, and it sounds like yours has gone way past that. Yes, so I've had my mechanical valve for 22 and a half years. Wow, and that's amazing. Yes. My parents had the choice between a mechanical valve and a tissue valve, and I was 10, and at that time, Mechanical valves, they said maybe 20 years, but they had been mostly putting them in elderly adults, and they were passing away with them. So they didn't really know how long they would last, but they knew the tissue valve would be about five years. And my parents didn't want me to have to have surgery again as a teenager, and so they opted for the mechanical valve, and it's been ticking away in my chest for, like I said, 22 and a half years. Oh, my gosh. Well, they made the right choice for you. And that's the perfect note for us to end. I like to end on a positive note. We need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet. Because when we come back, we're going to talk to Rosalind about why she became a nurse and how she found out about the Novick Cardiac Alliance. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, A handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with adult congenital heart defect survivor, Rosalind Rivera, about growing up with a congenital heart defect, and I'm so impressed that her 
heart valve, her mechanical heart valve has lasted over 22 years. That is just amazing. But now I want to know, Rosalind, when did you decide that you wanted to be a nurse? And was there a specific event that helped you decide that's what you wanted to do with your life? Yes. So you recall my memories from being in the hospital at age 10 and how I thought being in the hospital was fun and interesting and I wanted to learn things. Well, I think that's when I decided I wanted to be a nurse. And actually, there was a specific incident while I was in the hospital. One of my nurses, I noticed that she had a scar on her chest. And I remember asking her, hey, did you have heart surgery? And she had, as an adult, but she had heart surgery. And I remember as a 10-year-old thinking, wow, my nurse knows exactly how I feel, how I am in this hospital bed with these tubes coming out of me and She's been there. I felt that she knew in a way that other people can't how to take Mm -hmm. care of me. And it was really inspiring. As a 10-year-old, I remember thinking this. So I did know then that's when I wanted to be a nurse. And I love kids, and I knew I wanted to take care of kids like me. And that's just how it evolved. Wow, that is such an awesome story. Have you ever seen that nurse again to let her know how she inspires you? No, I have not, and I don't know if she's still around because that was 22 years ago, but it would be wonderful to find her. Yeah, that would be so great. Well, how when mm-hmm. did you find out about the Novick Cardiac Alliance? Because this is something that I kind of heard about before you contacted me and told me that you'd be willing to come on the show, but I wasn't that familiar. I had to go out and do some research. So how did you find out about it? I heard about it probably about seven years ago from two nurses that I had worked with at the time. They told me about Dr. Novick, and they had just returned from a medical mission trip with him and the team to the Dominican Republic. And they were talking about it, and their stories were incredible. They described it as life-changing, the kids they saw and the treatments they provided. I wanted to learn more and find out more, and I wanted to do it myself. It took me a while to finally get on a trip but I did, and the thing about it is Dr. Novick's teams go to third world countries and they provide cardiac care for children, but they don't just go there and do surgery and leave. The real purpose of the mission trips is to go and educate the local teams so that eventually they will be sustainable on their own, that they can care for their own children without having extra people coming in to help them. And that's really the purpose of these trips, and it's something that is really incredible because it's developing cardiac care for kids around the world for everybody. Um, yeah. And Dr. Novick and his teams, they they go to countries regardless of ethnicity or religion or politics or economic status. It's an incredible way to help children really all over the world with the number one birth defect, congenital right. heart disease. Right, exactly. Heart defects are the number one birth defect, and yet I'm learning that there are more and more places that really are not set up to deal with these heart defects, and so children are dying needlessly, even from what we consider in the United States simple heart defects. It's not simple when you don't have people who know how to take care of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've been all over the globe helping families of children with broken hearts. Can you share an especially poignant story with us from your experiences? Sure. I have worked in eight different countries around the world, and I don't know if I have one story, but I have a memory of kind of encompasses everywhere I've been, and it's it's the one thing that we all have in common as humans, and it's love of children. 
A parent's love of her child is undeniable, and her will to do anything for her child to live is incredible. I've encountered mothers who have basically carried their children for miles from their village to the city to have them looked at by a physician when they knew that our team was going to be there. And the other thing is the thankfulness of a mother or a father for their child's health. It crosses all cultural barriers. I mean, I go to Ukraine and I go to Libya and I don't speak Russian. I don't speak Arabic, but I can look at the faces of the parents and see their joy after the child has heart surgery and they're eating better, they're happier, they're playing. And it's something that's undeniable across all cultural barriers. Right, right. Especially for children who have a hole in their heart or who have tetralogy of below and were blue babies before they had their operation and then come out pink for the first time. It must be amazing for you to interact with these parents after their children's lives truly have been saved. It is true. And actually, like I said, I don't speak the language in many of the countries I go to, but I do show the parents my scar. And I hope my actions they can see that their child will grow up to be a healthy adult now that they've had their heart surgery. And I hope that them seeing my scar and them seeing me as an active adult gives them a little bit of hope for their child. Oh, I'm sure it does. Now, do you have interpreters that can interpret for you when you interact with the parents, or is it all pretty much miming? (laughs) We do have interpreters, more people that speak both languages of the countries we're in. But not always. Sometimes I go see the children after surgery when they're on the ward and it's just me and I just want to check their oxygen levels and I'm the only one there. And so we end up having (laughs) mimes conversations, but I do feel like we're communicating very effectively. Oh, yeah. I used to be a teacher of the deaf. And what a lot of people don't know is Mm. that 60% of our communication is verbal, the words that we say, but 40% of our communication is nonverbal. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's the gestures that we use. It's the intonation. It's our facial expression. Mm-hmm. That communicates volumes. Exactly. And I'm sure you really have been communicating with these parents, even though you don't speak their language. Like you said, we all <laughs> speak the language of love. And people can tell when you actually care about their child. And you can tell how much these parents care for their children. Oh, that's such a perfect note for us to take another quick commercial break. Mm-hmm. I love ending on these happy notes. What an amazing experience you have had, Rosalind. I'm just um, flabbergasted. It's just so beautiful. We'll take one more quick commercial break, but don't leave yet. Because when we come back, we're going to talk to Rosalind about how others can be involved with the Novick Cardiac Alliance and what her very favorite memory is from helping out overseas when we come back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with an amazing adult congenital heart defect survivor, Rosalind Rivera, and I am having so much fun talking with her 
Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Rosalind, and for telling us about how you have lived with your congenital heart defect, become a nurse, and now how you're helping children all over the world with the Novak Cardiac Alliance. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you, Tuana. I know. I've had so much fun. Well, let's go back and revisit the Novak Cardiac Alliance because I want everybody to know what the URL is, how they can learn more about the Novak Cardiac Alliance, and also, can you tell us if they have a Facebook page? Yes. So the Novak Cardiac Alliance website is www.cardiac-alliance.org. Now, let me spell that because the hyphen gets confusing. So www.cardiac-alliance.org. So that's our web page. Yes. And we are on Facebook, and it's facebook.com backslash cardiac alliance. That's so much easier. Yes, yes. If you do a search for Novick Cardiac Alliance, that's N-O-V-I-C-K, Cardiac Alliance, you'll find us that way as well on Facebook. Great. So tell us what your favorite memory for being part of the Novick Cardiac Alliance is. So my favorite memory is actually from my very first trip, and I think that's what got me hooked. So I was in the Dominican Republic, and the first day on many of our trips, we evaluate the patients that are there for surgery. There's usually dozens of them, and we have to select the ones that need the surgery immediately or can wait till the next time we come. So we're evaluating the patients. There's about a dozen of them, and the families are there, and we're in the classroom actually waiting for them to go in for their echoes. And there's this one girl. I learned she was four years old, but she, from her heart defect, was so blue. She was purple. Her fingernails were kind of rounded, which is something that happens when you have a lack of oxygen. But she was a princess. She was in a little ball gown. She had a tiara on her head, and she was dancing around as purple as can be. And it was an incredible sight to see to begin with. And then I learned what her heart defect was. And it is a heart defect called transposition of the great arteries. And it's a very significant heart defect where the blood doesn't flow in the right direction, either to the body or to the lungs. Now, in the developing world, like the United States or the UK or Australia, a baby who is born with transposition of the great arteries often requires surgery within the first week or two of life, or they will die. This girl was four years old. She had survived. She had this heart defect that nobody had done any surgery on, and she survived till four years old. And like I said, blue as can be, her oxygen levels were in the 50s. Normal is 100%. But she was as happy as can be. Her body just took over and developed extra connections to make sure she got enough blood flow around. But it was incredible. I mean, I'd still look at it and think, like, how did she survive? It's like a medical <laughs> miracle, for lack of a better phrase. And it was yeah. really incredible. And we did do surgery on her. And even the corrective surgery is something I've never seen before because you never see children that old with this defect. So it was, it was a really incredible experience, and seeing her afterwards pink, like you said, the babies that go from really blue to really pink was quite incredible, and her mother was just thrilled. Oh, my gosh, that is such a beautiful story. She must have had a VSC or an ASD or something to let her body transport. I, think, I believe, 
Yeah, I believe she had both a BSC and an ASC, but she also had extra vessels that developed to, to, get, to give extra blood flow. Exactly. Right. Yes. So did they have to coil off the collateral vessels after they fixed the heart? They kind of combined them all together in what we call a baffle. Oh so it took a few extra collaterals and then just kind of made them into one vessel, essentially. Wow. So the poor surgeons, they're kind of making it up as they go along a lot of the times, it sounds like. Yes, we're very innovative in our work. <laughs> wow, that is an amazing story. And what a beautiful way for you to have an introduction to this team and how flexible they are, that they can take a child like this. Like you said, in the United States, you would never see a child four years of age who have been untouched by surgery and still survive with that serious a heart defect. That is just amazing. Well, I mm -hmm. know that as soon as people hear this show, they're going to want to get involved too in some way. So can you tell us how people can get involved with the Novick Cardiac Alliance? Sure. On our webpage, we have a link you can go to that has a volunteer application. It's not quite an application, just your name and where you're from and your medical specialty. We take full medical teams, um, people specialized in pediatric cardiology. We take surgeons, anesthesiologists, perfusionists, OR nurses, ICU doctors, cardiologists, ICU nurses, respiratory therapists, and sometimes we'll take medical students' places as well. So even medical students or those that are thinking of becoming physicians are welcome to come and join us as well for the learning experience. We go on two-week trips. We go to a dozen different countries around the world, and we often take translators or have people that are there that work there that will be able to speak English. And the other thing that's really neat about our teams is that we are international teams. So we could have nurses from Australia, Canada, United States, a physician from Belarus, a surgeon from Argentina, and our own teams are from all over the world. So you get to experience how other countries, other developed countries take care of these kids and you learn from them. And so it's, as much as it's a teaching experience for the local team, you also learn quite a lot. And like I said, we're very innovative. We don't always have all the supplies we need and being flexible is a key. To be completely honest with you, we all are there for the same purpose, taking care of these children, and it's a really amazing experience. Well, especially since it sounds to me like you guys are doing it on a shoestring, <laughs> and you're doing it probably <laughs> in less than ideal situations. Um, thinking right now about, I've been reading all these articles about how doctors in the United States are using 3D printers to make models of the heart so they know what to do when they go in and operate. These doctors that you're working with, they don't have any of that. They're just going in and and just doing it. <laughs> it's pretty amazing to me that they're able to do this. Yeah, and many of the echo machines in other countries don't have that great quality. And many places we can't do things like CT scans or MRIs to get a real accurate picture of the heart. So, yes, oftentimes the surgeons will open up the child and say, huh, that isn't what I thought, but let's see what we can do. <laughs> And they do wow. something. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Well, I know that my husband, who is a nurse, has been looking into possibly doing medical missions. And we were told that for the places that he's looking at helping it, the nurse has to provide their own transportation and the facility will provide a place for them to sleep and provide their food. What is it like with the Novak Cardiac Alliance? So with the Novak Cardiac Alliance, the organization itself pays for all flights, 
and all lodging, and usually breakfast and lunch are at the hospital. So basically all that we're asking our volunteers is, is for their time and some money for dinner. So it is all paid for by donations that we've received as an organization. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. That makes it much more affordable for somebody who's even maybe a new nurse or a new doctor who's paying a lot of school bills yet but would like to do something like this. Since they pay for the travel and they pay for most of the meals, that makes it something that just about anyone could do. Well, I know that a lot of these medical missions need extra money because it's very expensive to do this. If somebody isn't in the medical world but would like to contribute, is there some way they can make a donation? Absolutely. Again, on our website, we have a link for donations. We also will take donations of medical supplies, if that's something that people can get a hold of. But yes, we do definitely have a donation link on our website. Okay, so you take donations, gifts in kind. Do you take items for the families, like coloring books and toothbrushes and phone cards? I know those kinds of things are often needed by families when they have children having heart surgery. Does the Novick Cardiac Alliance also take those kind of items? Yes, we do. So we kind of put together lists and boxes of supplies that are going to go to different locations, and that is part of it. We take blankets, pillows, hats, socks, coloring books, bubbles, things that all make the kids feel more comfortable being in the hospital. And also, yes, for the parents, we'll take them toothbrushes and items like that. And on the website, there is our address where the Novick Cardiac Alliance is based out of Memphis, Tennessee, and you can ship items there as well. Okay. So this is the kind of opportunity, my friends, that any of us can take part in. We can send some little hats or a blanket or a phone card or something to help these families, and you never know where it'll go, but it'll go somewhere around the globe, and it'll help (laughs) heart families just like our own. Thanks again for coming on this show, Rosalind. This has been quite informative. Thank you so much, Anna. It's been great talking with you. Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time for a brand new episode. But during the month of February, we will be having a radio show every single day. We'll have encore presentations every day, except for Tuesday when we'll have a new show. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. And please help us during the month of February by sharing this information about the radio show with others. And follow us on Spreaker so that once we have 100 followers, we can petition iHeartRadio and then people will be able to listen to the show in their car. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. So remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.